This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. So in case you're not aware, it's halibut season. Mm. And you can find the freshest halibut at, uh, it's just landed in all of Zupan's stores. Wild Alaskan halibut is there, flown in for the ultimate freshness, and filleted from whole fish in store. And Zupan's has the freshest seafood available in town, and you'll You know, you always find a great deal. I always find a great deal. There's always something there that I like, and I particularly love that at Zupan's, and I haven't seen this elsewhere. I'm sure it exists, but it's right there most every time I can get swordfish, which I used to have all the time back east and haven't been able to enjoy out here as much. They also have a great and gorgeous selection of spring flowers. I love going, and most of the time when you walk it into a Zupan's, they have say, put the flowers right there. It's the right introduction, there. beautiful oh, yeah. flowers. Stop in, make your own, or have one of Zupan's creative specialists make a custom arrangement for you. And I score always, some points. You, oh, you scoring some points with Randy I've with always, those? I've always used them for Valentine's Day, which is now past, but man, their spring blooms look awesome. Yeah, but flowers shouldn't just be for Valentine's no, you're right. Day. Flowers should be... All the time. Fine, Chris. I'll stop there on the way home. (laughs) Yeah, let me give you relationship advice. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, April, Zupans is going to feature the Cameron Winery from Dundee. You'll find specials there all month on their Pinots and Chardonnays. And uh, they're also going to have a a tasting on April 14th from noon to five of Cameron Wines. So get down there for that. Very nice. Three locations, McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Grove. And of course, always at Zupans.com. Time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. Thank you very much, Court. And mm-hmm. you're Court Johnson from now kink.fm again. Yep. Good to hear you on that radio. Thank you. You're always on some radio. Yeah, and I technically never left kink. I just was kind of, they just pushed me at really late at night. Yeah, well, it's not going to be long until you're just running the show at Alpha. And well, you can just tell everybody where you're A boy can be. dream. And where they can be, where right. they can go. Sure. Um, but at any rate, it's good to be here. April, yes, yeah. it's, it's everything is starting to blossom, and I don't have anything more than a shirt, no jacket today. I noticed that they look very springy. Yeah, I on the other hand are still I'm still in my winter grays. Well, you're in your Kim Jong Grillin t-shirt, oh, which yeah. is by the way, anybody ever wants to come on the show and bring t-shirts? Yes, like Han did. Yeah, please do because it's they're nice to have. That's we're down a particularly good one, and I have a lot of things that I like. I just throw that under and it looks I w- good. I wore, I've wore this so much, I actually, I think I need to get a new one. It looks good. But oh, man. We can make a closely. deal for mine. Yeah. Can, what do you have that I want? <laughs> we'll think about that. So, But I'll tell you what I have that you might want. What's that? You need to come on one of our a PFA. Yeah. Local event. Right. We have one coming up at Tanner Creek Tavern in June. Oh, yeah. With Trevor Payne. That's cool. You know, we've interviewed David Machado. Mm-hmm. He's got a number of restaurants. And we're about to throw on the schedule, it's not officially up yet, but uh, an event at the new Enoteca Nostrana. Oh, very nice. Where um, uh, we'll be in May, mid-May, I believe. May 23rd is the tentative date. It's not going to be on the website for a few days. And this is recording on April 10th. So uh, we'll have that, and we're working on another couple that we'll have throughout the summer. I've long said, 
Chris, that if people don't have right at the fork.com as their homepage, they should at least have Portland Food Adventures as their homepage right. so that they can just check it either way. Right. And yes, right at the fo- the podcasts are on Portland Food Adventures. So you can just go there. PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Yeah, there's collusion sure. between the two. And uh, and I've not and there was no FBI agents well, breaking in to find good. into your office anyway to find out as, about it as far as you know. But also, if you're on that website, just please check out our trips. We have our fourth trip with Jose Chesa of Atala to Barcelona, and we'd love to have you join us. And uh, also Sicily with my dear friend Austri Ensign. Um, we got a number of people for that. That's a great trip. And then also Mexico City with Chocolato de Davids. God, I'm getting good at that You're now. All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 David Briggs and Catherine Mantarola were going to Mexico City uh, for Day of the Dead um, in October. So check those out. They're all really cool trips. We've, we've been doing this for four years now. And, um, it's a public service announcement. Just for you to right. know that they exist, you can do some great trips. Absolutely. With Jose and mm-hmm. so forth. But we're not going to Russia I once proposed, I once talked to uh, Vitaly Paley yeah. about going Doing a to Russia trip. a Russia trip. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, after this podcast with Bonnie and Israel Morales from Kachka, we, they kind of mentioned it. And they, had, they did a trip with their employees last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little different to, yeah, it's not something I would want to be responsible for right. at this stage of the game you got you got that huge payment to the russian mafia you have to yeah weigh into everything but the good news is in portland we don't have to go far to have the russian experience exactly or the best of the russian experience Mm -hmm. we got we got vodka flights right here at kachka and the upcoming you know they're going to change kachka to uh kachinka Mm -hmm. i believe i remember that properly i'm so bad at this stuff but so you just say we recorded these intros not always right at right afterward right so right. this is a week later or actually two weeks later I think yeah and um uh but uh we this is the second part coming up that you're about to hear yeah we should we should point out if you are listening to right at the fork for the very first time this is actually part two of our interview. Yeah, but they stand alone. Sure, they so do. So if you sure. only yeah. listen to this one, yeah. but if you go back to part one, you're going to hear what led up to exactly. Bonnie and Israel moving to Portland, their their whole history of their, their food histories, mm-hmm. how they intersected. And then so at this episode two, we pick up at uh, generally when Kochka was opening, some of the uh, some of the great things that are, are happening because there's... Now people are paying attention to Russian food more, their impressions of what Russian food can do for people, mm-hmm. and what some of the limitations are and, and uh, what they have to do to pull back. They're also, um, up, if you're listening to this, uh, the week it releases, which would be April 12th, uh, a week from then, or a little less than a week, April 17th is, uh, actually, I'm sorry, this release is April 11th. Um, April 17th is uh, Star Chefs, um, Rising Stars Awards, and Bonnie is one of the award winners, so you can still get tickets to that at Castaways. If you go to Eventbrite and search Star Chefs Portland, you're going to find it. There we go. That's the best way instead of giving you the exact thing, but it's a really cool event, and our own, I can't believe this when I saw this, I can believe it. But our own Gary the Foodie is an MC there. Wow. Well, along with his buddy Peter Cho. Is he going to get dressed up for it? Does he dress up for this? Oh, it would be interesting to see if he goes down or up. Right. On that. But I haven't seen him dress up. It's been a while. It's When I first met him, yeah. it was at 
As a matter of fact, uh, it was at DOC years ago, and our PFA there, and I just coincidentally ran into Austin Morris Bridges last mm-hmm. night, who's at Enoteca Nostrana. It's a small Portland food world. But Gary shows up. I'd never met him before, and he has like a really interesting suit on or jacket mm-hmm. and I, maybe even a bow tie. Oh. He may call me and say, no, 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 Chris, I didn't. Wasn't wearing a no bow, bow tie. No bow tie. I don't remember. But he used to dress. He used to dress very extravagantly and and very nicely. And now it's kind of a tank top and a and a what are those uh, fanny pack? Fanny pack. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, we'll see yep. on Wednesday night. Come join us. You'll see. I'll be there, and I'll be there with my friend Donna from San Pellegrino. So they are also uh, handing out the. They're responsible for the award for the most impactful. Uh, chef, very nice uh, in Portland. So, at any rate, that's a lot before you get to this episode because we're also going to have a couple of commercials. And we thank our sponsors and hope you listen to these yep. valuable spots. They're categorically appropriate. All they our are. sponsors. Yep. Zupans, Ringside, now San Pellegrino, and thank you, San Pellegrino, for uh, wanting to support our local Portland food community and our local Portland food podcast. Uh, right at the fork. And so because of them, you get to hear great people like Bonnie and Israel. Morales from Kachka. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. Ringside Hospitality Group. Ringside Hospitality Group has been owned by the Peterson family for nearly 75 years. A landmark of the Portland landscape, the Steakhouse is considered a local favorite in a town full of discerning foodies. The Ringside Fish House, in the heart of downtown, boasts the freshest seafood and exceptional wine list, and just like the Steakhouse, serves Ringside's world-famous onion rings that James Beard claimed to be the best he's ever had. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and ringsidefishhouse.com and make a reservation today. San Pellegrino. You care about your dining experience, so why not to just any water? Enhance your next meal by asking for a refreshing bottle of San Pellegrino and its refreshing, sparkling taste of the Italian Alps. It makes a difference. Eating and traveling? Go to sanpellegrino.com to see where the world's best chefs recommend you dine. And wherever you are, make sure to listen for our Right at the Fork Classic episodes brought to you by San Pellegrino. And by... Portland Food Adventures. Join Right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime trips this fall to eat and sip your way through Sicily, Mexico City, and PFA's famous trip with Itala chef Jose Chesa to Barcelona. See the exciting itineraries at portlandfoodadventures.com and find Chris's contact info there. If you love food and travel, these trips are for you. So, but what was the actual moment where you two said, let's do this? And uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we got to a point, I mean, there was so much more than just, I, I vividly remember um, what dishes were in front of me the first time I sat down. Um, and I also remember, like, we would always, Bonnie would always have frozen dumplings in her apartment. 
and you know, like every good Russian has frozen dumplings. That's that's your that's your uh, Russian version of frozen pizza. You know, everybody has that. And so I remember, you know, getting off of work after service, after going to the bar with staff and coming back to her place and we would cook ourselves some dumplings, you know, and we would pull whatever, you know, a braising liquid we had in reserve from the fridge or we would have, you know, other things to pepper it with and like really uh, dress it up a little bit. And I remember so many times sitting across our little table and eating these bowls of dumplings like in the middle of the night. And thinking like, this is, this is amazing. This is um, not only so comforting and something that I can easily like slip into, but it's so unique. It also doesn't exist. And also I know that you bought these, we could probably make them better. And so after like talking with her mom and like really getting into dishes more and more and more, we're like, well, let's, let's try our hand at, at making some dumplings, you know? So we... I don't even know how many thousands of dumplings we made, but, um, we, start, was it, we started making our own, you know, and, and that was, how long was the process to get to the ones where you said, okay, we got it, man. I don't even know. There was so much so many iterations. I don't remember. It was again, because we, it was like a side thing. We were kind of always had in the back of our brains. It wasn't like we had a specific deadline. Um, we could sort of meander through it and just like pick it up, take, put it down. And so what were the what were the events that led you to say, okay, now's the time to do it in 2000? What was that, 14? Um, yes, we opened in 2014. You had to plan it in 2013, I would imagine. That's My parents had moved to Portland. That was a big one. So mm-hmm. yeah, the, the really big um, piece to all of this puzzle is is really not talked about and not really shown in any sort of public forum, but without... Bonnie's parents, my in-laws, um, Kochka would have never opened. Never. Um, not even close. So they, so basically, I mean, Simon lived here. He had a wife and a kid. Now, now he has two. And um, we lived here. We had a child and they still lived in Chicago. Uh, their grandkids lived on the West Coast. And so after a few really like tearful goodbyes from visiting each other here and there, they, they retired. They retired, they sold their house, they sold everything, and they moved to the West Coast. Um, they live in Happy Valley. They moved here so they could watch their grandkids grow up. And, I mean, they're there right now. It's spring break, and they're hanging out at, you know, uh, my in-law's house while we're sitting here to do this interview. So the things wouldn't really happen if we didn't um, really rely on family. And... Um, yeah, the matter, that's, that's, especially in that's the why. very beginning and in the planning stages, I mean, the sheer amount of time spent away from our then one kid. I mean, now we have two, but um, was just like there's there would be no way we could financially have done that. And also, like, I would have so much. I already have guilt, but at least he's with my parents. You know what I mean? Well, you're Jewish. You're going to have to have guilt. Yeah, anyway. it's built in. It's built in. But yeah, I mean, that was that was the thing we we decided that, you know, it's not going to be right to open a restaurant and um, have to go pick up our kid at two in the morning, drag him out of bed and right. to take him back to our place. You yeah. Know? And so, I can't afford a nanny. You know. Yeah. So we ended up we moved in with them uh, in Happy Valley so that Noah, our son, um, had a had a room, had a place. You know, mm-hmm. he had his stable thing. And so they're really the ones that made it happen because we had been talking about it forever. And. You know, I was getting more and more comfortable in the industry. I I made more connections. I knew more people in the industry. 
um, Bonnie was working at New Seasons, so like no one really knew anything about Bonnie, and from a public perspective, um, and we were really, you know, once her parents moved here and we got settled in, then we started making plans. Yeah, I mean, I had started spinning my tires. Like, I, at the end of the day, it wasn't exactly a very fulfilling job for what I want to do, and um, uh, my parents were in place. And I felt like there was a moment I remember where we sat down and talked and I was like, if we don't start planning this now, like I'm going to end up working. I have to leave. I need to go work in kitchens. I can't do this anymore. And if I do that, I'm not going to have the time and energy to really devote to planning what we want to do. I'm not going to be able to be, I, I can't go be a sous chef somewhere or, you know, or, or higher up in somebody else's restaurant and have the time and energy to plan my own thing. Like that's just not. Were you always on board with a Russian restaurant? It sounds like it was you yeah. were the you No, we I mean once once we started dating and like uh, he started like getting into the food, I I legitimately was like born again about the the food that I grew up eating and um it it I we I like we we are we were like so equally compelled to like do this. It had like it had to happen. But if it hadn't been for Israel's encouragement and delight in it maybe that you that never would have happened right Absolutely that wouldn't not. have happened no because i heard you know we just recently had katie and sandak um, oh we love and that. they have yeah, awesome. they have a similar it's a similar story i mean he was her champion and it was a little different you can listen to the podcast but she didn't have the she didn't really have the confidence and he he instilled it and said we're gonna this is gonna be great no matter no matter what you think it's gonna be great mm-hmm. so i'm glad he did yeah that, yeah, that is, is my favorite restaurant um yeah and we yeah. and portland has it's kind of cool there's a lot of couples who have really built their own team you know they're 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 loved together and yeah. you see it in the restaurants you see it at country cat it's it's incredible and we have and Paley's place. I mean, there's there's a litany of great restaurants that are run by couples, and uh, and I think it's really cool that it wouldn't have happened. He's not the Russian one. No, so not at all. I mean, uh, you know, it just got to a point where we realized that sure, if we don't do it, nobody else will. But um, it's also going to go away. Like it's it's going to continue to go to the darkest recesses of the culinary scene. That where like this kind of food, this food way, and this cadence of eating and drinking, um, is is wonderful, and it belongs on the table and in the conversation with some of the other bigger ethnic cuisines that are out there. Like, why don't people talk about Russian food like they talk about Italian food, French food, Mexican food, like so many things? And that's a it's a shame. It's a crying shame, you know. And so like the. The admittance that no one else is really doing this in the country and the desire for other people to do it is is really born out of, well, we are the only one doing it right now, um, but we need other champions, you know, and so. But it goes back to what, you know, Bonnie's quote unquote embarrassment, oh, you sure. know, giving you the lecture on what the food was going to be. You had the same impression and that's generally Probably why there aren't more Russian restaurants. Well, oftentimes when you go to other, feel that way. like yeah. you go to other Russian restaurants and you eat other Russian food elsewhere, and you can you can see the embarrassment. You know, um, you can see that no one actually put um, their finest work and put their pride and their attention to detail in the dishes. You can see it. Where were they putting their attention? Do you think? 
I mean, you open a restaurant, people have passion. I just, <laughs> what do you got? So I guess the, the question really is, is what do you have? What's, what do you have that nobody else has? Now there's skill and there's heart in that, but what is it exactly that, that you're bringing to the table that others aren't? I don't know. What are we bringing to the table that others don't have? Well, you know, I think that um, one of the, so we, we talk and we focus a lot on Russian food, let's say, um, but there's so much more than just what's on the, what's on the table, the food itself, you know, and sure you can talk, say the same thing with drinks. It's really, um, we're trying to create less of a restaurant and more of a dinner party. You know, I, I find myself saying this all the time, usually to Russians, like, you know, the best Russian food that's out there is usually stuff that's at your house, stuff that you're cooking at home, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I mean, I've eaten at Russian restaurants and Eastern European restaurants all over this country. Um, and they all, most of them speak in the same way of like, well, this is really kind of a banquet hall where the focus is on live music and some dancing. And we have like 80, 10 tops around here and like your risers with, with questionable food. Mm-hmm. And that's the embarrassment that I'm talking about. Like you can tell the focus isn't there. The focus isn't on the food. Totally. And, but I mean, when you go to a dinner party, like at her parents' house, you know, it's a whole different thing altogether. There is a a way that you eat and you drink and you converse and it's just, it's bountiful and it's, it's, um, it's vivid and, and boisterous and just really amazing. And that's what I want to create. I don't want to create a restaurant. I want to create that experience from a two top to a 10 top. Right. Well, that's you know? the challenge is to do it for a two top too. Yes. And you built the private dining room in the back to, uh, to approximate a Russian living room or totally. a Russian, you know, that, that experience. We had that and I was, Completely impressed when um, we had an event there, and it was as though you grew up in Russia. I mean, you were so just, you can hear it here in the podcast, but you were so uh, enamored with the food and with what Bonnie was doing that, you know, it was as though you'd been doing it your whole life and, yeah, I mean, and that it was your thing. Like, I've, I, I'm fully committed. I went head first. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, yeah, sure. It's our restaurant. It's part of our life. But this this um, culture and this style is part of my life. And so, you know, we wanted to take those experiences from a home and put them into a restaurant. And and um, immediately when you make that decision and referencing other like Russians or uh, having a restaurant that serves that community, you know, the moment you make a decision to have a dinner party as your restaurant, it's way more inclusive. And now, like, the percentage of Russians that actually come to our place is very small because people are going to a dinner party. I think, yeah. that's, a, I think that's a really nice philosophy to um, hook on to. I know it's John, Gor- John and Renee's philosophy is we want to party in that restaurant every night. That's the way they think of it. And it seems like there's a lot of success if you gear it that way. Chris, super excited to be able to say this, that this episode of Ride the Fork is made possible because of some great support from Ringside Hospitality Group. Yeah, that includes Ringside Steakhouse, mm-hmm. which, of course, everybody knows about. But we need to be reminded, and we're going to have a few things that are going on there that would key folks to uh, jump over to Ringside. And, of course, Ringside Fish House, right downtown. Some of the best fish available and that same quality that you've been experiencing at Ringside Steakhouse for years. They've, uh, they've adapted that to fish as well. So some things that you might want to be aware of that are going on, 
Steakhouse Prime Mondays. Every Monday, they offer a $35 three-course prime rib dinner. Includes mixed greens. You get a 10-ounce prime rib with your choice of potato, followed by ring-signs creme brulee for dessert. Mm. While supplies last. You know, that's great because I just discovered a place out in Manzanita that has weekend prime ribs, and I've been kind of thinking that was something I don't get in Portland. Yeah. You do, at ringside. You could also, if you're not in the mood for steak on Monday, you could go to the Fish House for Dollar Oyster Mondays, where you can get the best oysters for just a buck a shuck. And, uh... <laughs> I, love, I love saying that. I'm, yeah, I had to avoid stepping in. Yep. But, uh, also, uh, Wine Down Sundays. Every Sunday, ringside Fish House offers 50% off most bottles of wines from a wine list of over 600 labels. So that's valid in the dining room only and some great reasons to go back to ringside. You can make reservations online, which I always love. Ringsidesteakhouse.com or ringsidefishhouse.com. Now, vodka. How, how familiar were you with vodka before you started this venture? Not at all. In fact, I remember, I remember dating Bonnie and thinking how, like, I had an in with her parents when she told me that her dad wanted to sit down and have some vodka and pickled green tomatoes. And I was like, yes, I'm in, you know. Um, I had no experience with it, um, nor did I have any experience, um, like, taking shots throughout dinner. Um, The crazy thing is, is that when I first met um, Seymour, Bonnie's uh, dad, um, he wasn't really drinking vodka. He was drinking brandy drinking cognac and you know it was a uh, much more of a status thing you know like in the soviet union like just everyday normal people like you can't find cognac that doesn't exist that's for people that are in the know that have a connection that are in the military or the government you drink vodka this is for the people so like when you come to the united states and vodka and cognac are in the same store just a few dollars more here and there like what 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 else are you gonna drink? Yeah, con- so. cognac is, and it was really, it's actually brandy. They call it cognac, but it's Armenian brandy is what you see most of the time. Is like a status symbol. Yeah, and so it's so funny because men of my dad's age, um, almost always across the board, you'll see them eating with like salted fish and stuff, drink shooting cognac. Yeah, because it became a status symbol. And so they just, they've all kind of learned, they think they like it together. And it's actually disgusting. <laughs> it's actually pretty terrible. Like it does not but, go together. So it's not something you're going to put together a flight. To. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, even though they were drinking cognac or brandy, um, the way that they're drinking it remained. Yeah. So like they're still saying a toast and clinking their glasses and drinking all together. Um, and then when we started doing, when I started dating Bonnie and we were going over to their house and drinking cognac it slowly shifted to vodka and i think it really started happening when we were planning for the restaurant we were like this is going to be our stance this is what we're doing you know um we need to have a a bar identity because you know there isn't really a cocktail culture in russia i mean there is but it's really just playing off of a lot of other themes that already exist um, and but, I would imagine m- most of the drinking is done at home. It's not totally, yeah. yeah. And so, um, at, so Russians um, eat and drink at restaurants the way they would at home. Um, they put a bottle on the table. They order bottles, um, and so that so they do. I mean, it is done the same way, but it's done how that nobody orders like shots for the table, right? 
So, I mean, there's that. But it's... Yeah, so they bring their home into the... They're bringing yeah, it into yeah, the restaurant. It's, the, the BYO, yeah. it's BYOB, but there's, buy it. There's a term... There's a Russian word that's um, Bianca, um, which is... It's kind of... It sounds... It's much... It's hard to actually translate because it literally sounds like you're saying like a drink fest. But it's actually like the definition is much more complex than that. It's a dinner party where there's drinking involved. And the drinking part of it is not is so um, just natural that it's not I wouldn't even saying that it's a dinner party with drinking involved is already doing the definition a disservice because it's just a natural part of having a dinner party. But a pianka happens in the home. And you have like sort of the nostalgic like image is, you know, in a in a Soviet apartment, a communal apartment, you have tiny spaces. And so you'll have like a tiny dining room table with like 13, 14 people piled around it and food. Yeah, like cr- bringing up the couch to the end of the table because you don't have enough chairs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just not possible. And <laughs> as much food on the table as you can fit and everyone's drinking and eating and talking and so the idea of like standing around and cocktailing or like any sort of those other alternate ways in which uh, people can socially drink is just so foreign from the way Russians um, socialize. So it's just it's it just being at the table and eating and drinking is just is just the way you do it. And so it doesn't matter if you're at someone's home or at a restaurant. That's just how you socialize. You don't there's no other way. You know, it's just, that is that is what you do. So. Is the way you formulated your menu, your food menu and your cocktail menu, does it lead people to that? Because you can't give everybody a uh, a lesson on how to be how to eat like a Russian. Sure. But you can, by the way, the menu is formed. But we do have a little box on the top left that literally says how to eat and drink like a Russian. I mean that that does that does help. Um, you know, we we do have you know all the bells and whistles of a conventional restaurant. We have a wine list. We have a cocktail list. You know, and, and we're really proud of, you know, structuring those things. Um, but we have, you know, over 60 vodkas and we infuse all of our vodkas in house and which is a very traditional Russian thing. Um, and so the, the focus really is on vodka with its drinking. And with regard to the food menu, you know, there are only if you really dissect our our food menu, um, the main courses section, like we only have four or five main courses, everything else are essentially appetizers. I mean, when you when you look at the definitions and how it's structured, the entire thing, it, what's really interesting about Russian food or Russian eating is most of your eating and drinking happens in like the 70% of it happens on the front end. You know, cold appetizers, lots of vodka, you know, that sort of thing. Your main course is a smaller percentage of your overall dining experience. And that's like something larger. It's usually family style, you know, and so just different from the American format of a restaurant. And so we structured our menu to mimic that. Yeah, I mean, and people naturally gravitate to where there's the most emphasis. And so when you have a 60-bottle vodka list, that's people are going to say, oh, I guess that's what I drink here. And so they're going to be drawn towards that. I mean, you people order sake at a, at a sushi restaurant, even though they might not be normally sake drinkers. Um, and the same thing with the food. I mean, we... We put that emphasis on cold zakuski specifically because we do want people to spend their time socializing and eating and drinking. And so those are we can't make you order that way. And obviously you don't have to. But um, people are going to follow what you 
lay out for them. And so if you if you do the opposite, if you just like put a burger on the menu and like put a bunch of main courses on there um, because that's how you think Americans like to eat, you're doing them a disservice and yourself, your concept a disservice. And so I think that is what one of the biggest things that we make sure not to fall into is like don't don't just do stuff just because that's the way it's done. Like yeah, it we, is okay to be polarizing and to really it is okay to stand by your concept and you know have something very specific you know especially when and i'm not really sure if we would be that way if it was a different cuisine but because it's so underrepresented and it's so specific in how you eat and drink together um it really was an easy decision for us and i would imagine it puts the pressure on you a little bit to make sure that you are presenting the most authentic it makes you perfectionist because it's got to be it's got to hit this mark in terms of the presentation the experience you want people to have um oh totally yeah i mean i tell this to our staff all the time who i mean our front of house staff is fantastic the ability that they have to juggle everything up in the air while still guiding people is is pretty rare um you know like I, I'll bet you that we could probably walk into a pizza joint anywhere in this country. I don't have to look at a menu. I don't have to know anything about the chef. Uh, if you and I ordered a margarita pizza, um, I, I know what shape it is. I know it, what color it is. Um, I kind of know how long it's going to take me. And if somebody puts down a roasted chicken in front of me, I know that's not what I ordered. But none of those rules apply at Kachka. I don't know how to pronounce what's on the menu. I don't know what color it is. Never I don't know how had it. I don't. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And if someone gives me a corn dog, I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know. And so it is such a challenge for front of house to to take this really rich and unknown, largely an unknown um, tradition, and guide people through. Um, and when it happens, which thankfully it happens often, um, it clicks for people, and then a light goes on. And then that same paradigm shift happens with our guests. And that's really rewarding. And I saw it in the press, too. I remember all of a sudden the lights were going on. Like you'd hear people say, this, was, this is really different. And in a city like Portland, in the community, there was a lot of, you need to pay attention to this. Um, and that happened pretty quickly. It was, you guys got a lot of press. So we need yeah. to touch a little bit on Kachka, too. It's <laughs> coming up. What is going to be, what's in your mind for Kachka 2? What's going to be different about that? And what's going to be, well, what's left is the same, because I don't think you want to change what, what isn't broken. But Well, we, so the place that we have now that's called Kachka is not going to be Kachka anymore. Mm-hmm. So it will be called Kachinka, which means little Kachka, kind of. It's like a bastardized word because Kachka is actually a Belarusian word and the diminutive that we're using is a Russian diminutive, but it's, I like it that way. Um, and uh, it's going to be basically the happy hour version of Kachka that we I mean, we have a pretty strong happy hour following. And so we're basically expanding on that. Um, so it'll be a set smaller menu that's fun and, you know, inexpensive Moscow mules and happy hour food all the time. And, yeah, and no like reservations. That. First come, yeah. first serve for the entire restaurant for the entire night. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's 720 Southeast Grand. That location that is now called Kachka will be Kachinka. Um, Kachka, as it's known, with a, a little bit more maturity to it, um, will move to the, um, the 960 11th, Southeast 11th location, which is in build out right now. Um, 
And it's convenient. It's nice and close for you guys. Not many people do that. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, there were a few raised eyebrows for sure, but I mean, honestly, um, you know, Bonnie and I are pretty, um, conservative people, pretty, I would say maybe nervous people, you know, and we, we take steps very carefully. Um, and we don't want to grow unless it is an organic growth, unless it's a natural extension of what we're doing. And, you know, that's, that's why we came out with our vodka brand. That's why we, you know, Bonnie spent three years writing a cookbook, which wouldn't happen unless it would strengthen the brand, right? So um, in getting another location, like, we're not going to open one on the west side where we can't necessarily control everything that's happening there. You know, I'm not even going to, op- I'm not very comfortable opening one six blocks away, you know. Um, Far enough. But, there, but I yeah. would think most people would say, hey, we, we can we can open up uh, to ourselves to a new audience on the West side. Yeah. Cause that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, We're and, just doubling down on the neighborhood that we know and love. And, um, and you are a destination yeah. restaurant too. And people, I mean, people come in with suitcases straight off the plane right. and that's awesome. And we love that. Um, but right now our space doesn't, isn't totally conducive to that either. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's a hodgepodge and it works really kind of well for happy hour and kind of well for dinner. And so it's going to be nice to be able to give both of those parts of what we do legs. Um, and so the new space is, is larger. There's um, it's, we're still going to have it be nice and cozy and feel really communal in the dining room, but it's a lot airier. It's more open. There's big windows. How many seats? Will um, just about a hundred. And then at the current location is um, we're in the sixties there. 60s. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, it will, exp- it'll be larger. There's also, um, the private dining room is this like sort of flex space that we, I mean, we spent a lot of time doing layouts to get just the right mix, but we have this space that's, um, it can be used as regular dining and it doesn't feel like you're in somebody's back room like it is right now. Um, so we can use it for regular seating, but we can also, we'll end up being able to book up to 40, um, for private events, which is hefty mm-hmm. um and so it's really that that flexibility is really amazing because again having that big fun dinner party is what we love doing and so being able to do more of that is um is really exciting um and then the kitchen actually physically is going to be able to flex its muscles a little bit more right now we're your kitchen's pretty small it's yeah. tiny i mean we have a large prep prep kitchen um so that helps a lot um, but as far as what we can do on the fire side, um, it's really limiting. And we're, I, I'm constantly, I mean, this is not a, this is not specific to Kachka. Every chef has to think about this, but I'm constantly having to think about, you know, how many burners I have and how many pan pickups there are versus, you know, every, and and that goes towards every sorts of dish. Like, do I have enough? You That's know, where the Japanese conductor pointing comes in. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, we're we're particularly limited, and we've we've we're bursting at the seams in our kitchen. And so there's we've gotten to a point now where there's there are dishes that I just can't put on the menu. I just don't have. It's not about adding dishes. I mean, I can't swap out for this idea that I have because I don't have. I, I'm physically limited by the constraints of what we are working with. Um, and so we'll be able to flex our muscles a little bit more in that way. And it'll One, make you appreciate your new place uh, that yes. much more. I mean, that's natural growth. Okay. We have yeah. to sacrifice a little bit to get there. So now you know and what you want to do. One of those things specifically is um, there's something called a mangal, which is a kind of like a robata grill, like a open, long, skinny skewer grilling box. Um, 
and I love using a mangal. Right now, we use one just in the summertime. It ends up sitting on top of the range, and it takes up two of our eyes, so we switch what we can do, um, and it's we can only do so much out of it. Um, we're building a separate hearth um, to have a mangal station um, at the new spot, so that's something that'll be like a permanent fixture and have its own space on the menu. So that's the that's the very specific sort of way in which um, we're adding on. Um, and then the other, um, which is kind of a work in progress, and we will we won't open it at the same time. It'll happen probably a couple months after. Is um, there is a separate three hundred square foot deli space that's attached to the new location. Um, that'll be focused on sandwiches and being able to take herring under for coat, you know, by the pound to go and things like that. Um, That's and, our, exciting. and frozen dumplings and, you know. Oh, yeah. right back to the start of the whole thing. Except it's, our frozen dumplings. You're fr- well, yeah. yeah, and better than the ones that, that Israel had a long time ago, I'm sure. Right. They've been honed. Yeah. Our friends at San Pellegrino would like to shine the spotlight this week on Paley's Place. Now one of the institutions of Portland dining, Paley's Place planted its roots in Portland in 1993. Paley's Place has always been on the forefront of showcasing Oregon's local bounties and blends it with Chef Paley's Russian and French influences. Many of the chefs who've made their own marks in Portland have honed their knowledge and skills in the Paley's Kitchen, including Gabriel Rucker, Jason French, Ben Bettinger, Kristen Murray, and Doug Adams, just to name a few. Kimberly Paley oversees the beverage program at Paley's Place, and it's a great place to imbibe in superior local Pinot Noirs and international wines. But don't forget to enhance your meal with a sparkling bottle of San Pellegrino at Paley's or anywhere. And check into sanpellegrino.com to see where the best chefs in the world recommend that you dine. Here in Portland, San Pellegrino suggests you make a reservation soon to enjoy the best in Portland dining at Paley's Place. Um, so just in a general sense, can you describe the difference in the what it's going to take to open this restaurant versus when you opened the original Casca? In term, general, generally in terms of costs and the, and the flexibility that you have, because I would imagine when you opened this one where you are now, you were limited because you only had so much money. You didn't have the, a reputation. You didn't, you didn't, there wasn't the confidence to know, hey, man, this is going to work at the time. Now you've got a little few more of those. So what's the, what's the difference that four years of great experiences and great press, what kind of difference does that make to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you even think about it, like before, we didn't even have a restaurant to um, perform stages or working interviews for staff. So we're hiring kitchen staff basically sight unseen, blindly, you know, uh, just through an interview, which in the restaurant industry, it's pass or fail. It's all really what you can actually do, um, not how well you can speak in an interview. Mm-hmm. And so that was really challenging. It, it took know. a really long time for us to feel on the, I mean, kitchen side at least. I think front of house kind of got into its element a little bit more quickly. I think also naturally um, front of house people are so gregarious and all that. But um, it took us several years to really feel like a team in the kitchen and have a really stable base. Um, and I think that part of it and opening the new spot is, um, I mean, we have to hire a lot more people and that's always gives you anxiety, um, especially in this market. But um, I, that part of it feels really good to have that established team and feel like 
I I have confidence in what we can do and our and what we yeah um, quality output um, and um, consistency um, and so that that was such a huge elephant in the room with not being able to stash people for example and it sounds like a silly thing and it's so it's such a small little part of it um, that's not even about build out and costs you know but you. Well, it's a big so, part of it because you need, need experienced people because, as you said, you don't have time. Yeah. Especially when you're opening a new restaurant and everything's new. You don't have yeah. time to teach these teach people. I mean, yeah. I mean, that much. You have yeah, to I mean, teach you're always teaching. No, I mean, that, that's you're, you are always teaching, but it's, it, it's how much time can you devote to, you know, somebody well, who has no idea. basic skills, yeah. right. Yeah, uh, a project. Um, so, yeah, that part of it is really huge and different and, and, and great. Um, the... I guess we have some more conf. Yeah, we have more confidence. So we we are willing to take slightly bigger risks. I mean, just the very size of the space, um, we never would have taken on that large of a space at the first location. Um, and you could say that was to our detriment because then we wouldn't have had to have moved. You know, because we were, were out of seats, we're always booked. People get upset; they have to wait for two hours, and like we don't want that. Um, but um, but yeah, now now we know that that we have those legs. We can do that. Um, we we're trying, I think the part of it too, that is actually is a challenge as a result is checking yourself from spending more money. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it's still a restaurant and it has to be profitable. And it's really easy to buy a $600 bar stool instead of a $50 bar stool because you maybe can't, I mean, you can't, I mean, you, but the bank will maybe approve your loan, right? But you still have to pay it back. Um, and so... And it's not just one bar stool. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, and then you extreme, like multiply that out to every single decision, well, every like when single we opened, thing. But when we opened the original location... There were though, no like, options. There, Yeah, we, we had only this much money. That's it. Make it happen for that. That's all, that's all you have. Yeah, that's kind of what so. I was getting at. So you have the ability now to... Stretch it a little bit. Right, but and, should you? Right. And, and where does it matter and where doesn't? And are people going to notice that that's a, you know, a $200 light fixture or that it's, or are people going to notice that it's an Ikea light fixture? Or is the $200 light fixture really going to make a big difference on, totally. in, in the whole scheme of things? Those are tough decisions yeah. to make. And so it's, you have to be careful and sometimes it's, you know, you, you have to be, I mean, you have to be scrappy at all times. And, but in some ways though, you also end up, making decisions that you have to quickly fix later and end up spending more money on. So you don't want to be too scrappy. I mean, we, some of the things that we did at the old space were, we had no other option, but if we had known that we would have had to replace that item six months later, we probably would have spent up a little, you know? And so trying to figure out where spending extra now makes sense versus not is, is what we talk about a lot. And you have a little bit of advantage of having, had a restaurant for four years. So there's some things where you can say pretty easily, no, nah, that wouldn't have made a difference here. Or it would have. Sure. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite pieces of equipment that we have in the kitchen, of course, I'm going to say this now and it's going to go out today, but I have a chest freezer that we store all of our dumplings in. That's like, it's a novelty freezer. It's the, it's like the white with the glass top or plastic top clear that you can see into, like you would see like, you know, good, good humor bars in or whatever at the deli. Um, it is not meant I mean, it's it's a commercial piece, but it's not meant for the kind of wear and tear we put on it and where it is in our kitchen. It is a workhorse. It is like one of the cheapest things we purchased. 
And yes, there are that is like the the lowest end of the spectrum of those kinds of units, and you can go way up in price. And I am so happy that we've like you know what I mean. Like there's there would have been no reason to buy anything more expensive. And it's so easy. Those things, it goes like, I think we spent 400 bucks on it. You can easily spend four grand on the, a similar oh, yeah. sort of situation. Not, not even bad. I mean, the, the amount of money people spend on restaurant equipment. I mean, it's it's crazy. And it's got to be tough for you because you're, and I assume both of you are, but uh, particularly you have a design sense. And so aesthetics come into play a lot. And a lot of time aesthetics are expensive. Yeah. Oh my so, God, yeah. So you, those are Especially, this is going to be your baby. I mean, it's it it means everything to you, and every you want everybody to yeah. look at everything and yeah. feel what you feel. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a beautiful, beautiful space, and we're so excited about the layout that I already feel like I could literally buy the cheapest furniture, and it's still like stunning. So that I mean, it's just the space itself is just so great. And when when are we going to see that space? Oh, I don't know. Anymore. You will see it this year. <laughs> this year, definitely this year. Early this year. Yes. We mean earlier rather than the later. The first half <laughs> of the early year. already passed. The first half <laughs> yeah, of this we're, year. We're past the early part. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, we're still in the throes of build out and things can, things at this point can take another six months or they can come up, you know, in six weeks, yeah. you know. So we have, we have a lot of flex or a lot of things that we're moving through. That's another difference between the, this new spot and the old one is that, you know, when we opened uh, the old Kachka. Um, we quit our jobs, uh, way too early because we thought it was going to go up in no time, like in six weeks. And it ended up taking almost five, six months. Um, and our contractor, uh, left after a couple of weeks and like we were, we were on our own. What did they have to do that was better than open, than building out a Kachka? That's what, (laughs) yeah. You know, I mean, it was, um, it was really challenging and it was just Bonnie and I trying to, like make this happen, you know? And so, um, that was really stressful. And, but you know, we, we had a partner who was behind us hundred percent and like the three of us just made it happen. And that now this is like a, it's like wrestling with an octopus, right? I mean, there's so many more moving parts to it. You know, there's a bank loan involved. There's a developer involved. It's a brand new building. Right. right? Different- and so, all, it's it's completely different. So much bureaucracy. Um, sure, we we have, <laughs> and another, it's Portland too. That's what I hear. I don't yeah. deal with it, but I mean, we have a general contractor now, and and he's amazing, and he's handling all of those meetings and meeting the plumbers at five in the morning there, and all that sort of stuff. But um, the the complications and the challenges are just different now. Now it's you know uh, I was on like four conference calls last week. You know. Um, those are the worst things in the world. Yeah, and that's way. not that's not why you open a restaurant. To no a conference. Calls. No, no. Or necessarily do this. So well, I, this is way more fun than a conference call with a bunch of bankers. It's yeah. not. I, I don't know how to feel about that. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm happy that you use the word fun, but on the other hand, being compared to a conference call with bankers. No, no, uh, you're, you made that comparison. <laughs> but no, I'm so glad you came. I have one one question that I think is uh, as you look beyond this. You think there will ever be a Kachka Chicago? <laughs> uh, who's in, who's interested? I mean, you're young. Who knows, right? Is that something that would that would interest you? And I don't necessarily mean Chicago, but other markets are growing to that. Yeah, sort. absolutely. For ve- I mean, for very much the same reason that we opened this place in the first in the first place is that there we want 
to have this conversation. We want people eating this food. Um, so it doesn't make much sense to just keep doing it in Portland where people already know about Kachka. I want, I want people eating. I want people thinking about where do I want to eat tonight? Do I want sushi? Do I want Italian? Do I want Russian? Um, in that conversation. And I want that to happen in as many places as possible. And it's not for any sort of other reason than it just should. It just, it just should. Um, we don't have any plans of that sort, but that I definitely feel more inclined to to go out there into other cities um, because I feel so strongly that that has to happen. I mean, that's why we wrote the book. Um, there hadn't been a book written in um, the U.S. by a major publisher in thirty almost thirty years. Nineteen ninety was the last time that a book about Russian food. Was how made. many how many Italian I mean, books came out last year? And yeah, just just last you know. year, right? That's incredible. It's, but it also shows the opportunity that you have. It's shocking. And not yeah. only that, I, we didn't even get to it. So maybe someday come back on. And, and we don't talk politics on this. But I'm just curious, quickly, is all the conversation about Russia now, is that a positive? Is that a negative? What, you is, know, um, what does that mean to the restaurant? The crazy thing is, is that I feel like for the last four years or so, we have been bracing ourselves and really um, uh, keeping it in the top of our minds of like, okay, well, how do we respond to these sorts of things? Should they happen or come up? And, you know, every time I start, you know, spending some mental energy on that, um, I remind myself that like we're, we're a family restaurant. We're just a mom and pop restaurant and you're coming to our dinner party. That's what we're doing. Right. And, and that message, that conversation, it really has drowned out everything, you know? So really we don't, we don't get any of that, Good. you know, which is, yeah, it's great. Every once in a while, somebody might, in sort of like a joking way, tweet something like, you know, um, I'm I'm hanging out with the Russians tonight or, right. you know. I'm like, colluding with I'm, the Russians or I'm something. Gonna I'm going to go collude with the Russians at Kachka or, you know, something silly. But they, it's all in good fun. Nobody but the actually. interesting thing was, and I may be wrong, but I don't think it, for years nobody was thinking about Russia. It wasn't, in, you didn't, you know, if you did a um, one of those where you can... Uh, you know, some data pool to right. see how many times the word Russia has come up. It's got to be now. It's like it's got to be a thousand probably. times what it was oh, 10, 15 least. years ago, or, or ten thousand times at least. But it's not. It's not in the good way, right? Um, and I, it never has anything to do yeah. with food. No, and the, it the has to do with politics and weapons. Yeah. I love. And, I love reminding people that if um, if we uh, all, you know, if people equate Russia with Putin, then all Americans can be equated with Trump. No, let's not do that. So, you know, I, I just, I just don't see that. I, but, but that's, but people, when they do bring it up, that's what I remind them. And, and mm -hmm. it's like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, that's right. I guess I'm not, and I'm, I'm not Putin. That's, I know that sounds crazy. Right. And your food is coming from when <laughs> Gorbachev was, right. uh, so, you know, I mean, it's not, or, or way beyond we, that, but I'm just, we're not the leaders in charge of our country. Right. You know, we're, we are, we're just people eating food and let's hope it. that's not the situation for very long when you open and when you open wherever you open another one oh, yeah. uh that we're not even that's not even a part oh. of conversation yes. i sincerely appreciate both of you coming out we spent more time than i had told you you would spend because i know you're so busy and uh your first great. response really was great. that you were busy and um i really appreciate you coming to spend a long time with totally us uh just an honor to have you two. And I could go on. I'm looking at the clock here. I know we could go on for longer, but have to. we have to end this at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, there are so, a lot of things, you know. You can't cover everything. Yeah, so, totally. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 